God's Word provides a message of hope for us in the midst of all of our brokenness. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, as we pause our study of Deuteronomy and consider this parable of Jesus in light of what our country is going through in these days. Luke 10, 25 through 37, let me pray for us before we read his word. God, our Father, we thank you that your word is hope to us. We thank you that your word is true, that your word is exactly the voice we need to hear today. I pray that you might speak to us, oh God, the Holy Spirit, applying the very word of God to our hearts. I would ask for you to guide me, forgive me of my sin, use me to bring about your word this morning. Enable me to be faithful. Enable us to be faithful. Here is the word. In Jesus' name, amen. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set himself on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided or proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word revive our souls and speak to our hearts this morning. You may be seated. You go and do likewise. That's the response. The brokenness in our nation today is much deeper than the wrongs committed in the horrific death of George Floyd, in the cries for justice, and the racism that marks our past and our present day. The root of brokenness is the human heart. As Pastor Bodie Bauckham has said, 
We are seeing terrible things in our culture today because men love darkness rather than light. In the midst of all the brokenness, this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is a real message of hope for us. It's honest. It tells it like it is. But it brings us to a place of hope. You, child of God, you, believer in Jesus, you go make a difference in this broken world. You go do, you go and do likewise. We'll look at three questions in this, this passage of scripture. First, a loaded question that the lawyer asked. And after Jesus gave an answer to that question, the lawyer asked a self-justifying question. But Jesus gave this parable to teach the real question we should be asking. And that real question is this. Am I a good neighbor? You, child of God, you, believer in Jesus Christ, you go and do likewise. A loaded question. The lawyer asked, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A great question. The most important question. But it's a question that the lawyer asked unwittingly, setting himself up, having to defend an indefensible position. By nature, the human heart is incapable of loving God. And because the human heart is incapable of loving God by nature, we are incapable of truly loving our neighbor, truly loving one another in and of ourselves. Why did the lawyer ask one of the most important questions anyone could ever ask? How do I inherit eternal life? Lawyers or scribes, as they're often called in Scripture, were religious authorities. They were scholars. They were theologians. They were professional teachers of the Torah, the Mosaic Law. And in verse 29, we read, and we'll look at this in just a few moments, that the lawyer had to justify himself. So that tells us right off the bat something about his motive. And you couple that with what the lawyer says in verse 25, that he asked this question to put him, that is Jesus, to the test. It really shows his insincerity in asking the question. He had ulterior motives. And as a theologian, he had an answer himself to that question. How does one inherit eternal life? But he wanted to test Jesus. The lawyer's answer is this. One enters the kingdom of God. One inherits eternal life through external conformity to the Mosaic law. Legalism is another way to put it. And so he wanted to see if Jesus lined up to his orthodoxy, his sense of orthodoxy, his understanding of Judaism and the role of the law. And so we see time and time again, these religious leaders like the scribes and the Pharisees are constantly trying to discredit Jesus by showing him to be a heretic, to showing him to be unorthodox. And this is another example of this, as this, this scribe and Jesus have this, this interaction. 
Well, how did Jesus answer the question? Jesus answered the question like he answered most questions with a question. So, in verse 26, he, he asked, uh, what is written in, in the law? And since you were, an, and, and I'll just restate what Jesus really was, was asking. Since you are an expert in the law, and we both agree the answer to your question is contained in the law, what does your reading of the law, what does your interpretation of the law say with regards to what does it take to get into heaven? The lawyer answered according. He answered really well. He answered according to Deuteronomy 6 5. He answered according to Leviticus 19 8. Deuteronomy 6 5. Love God with all your, your being. Leviticus 19 8. Love your neighbor. Jesus commended him in verse 28. You have answered correctly. And the lawyer's answer matched Jesus' answer when he summarized the law in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. The first four commandments, love for God. The second half of the commandments, 5 through 10, love your neighbor as yourself. But the lawyer's question, what does it take to inherit eternal life, really set him up for a defense that he really could not make in verse 29. For him, he would try to defend asking this question and his answer to this question. But there's some other things that the law says that will cause him difficulty. The law says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, that is regeneration, and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. What determines one being able to love God and love others? It's not external conformity to the law. It's God mercifully giving that individual a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. Again, Ezekiel speaks of God working to give a new heart and obedience to the law, loving God, loving our neighbor is a response to that merciful, gracious work of God. The lawyer asked the question, how do you inherit eternal life? He answers correctly. But his answer did not reflect his state and really his understanding of true obedience and what it takes to enter the kingdom. And so Jesus then gave this command, and this is what really set the lawyer up. Verse 28, do this and you will live. Lawyer, do this. Love the Lord your God with your entire being and then love your neighbor as yourself and you'll get in the kingdom of heaven. Now we know Jesus wasn't saying that if you do this, then you'll get in. 
Because loving God and loving our neighbor simply is outward evidence of that inward work of God in us to which we respond in obedience. But the lawyer could not love God with all his whole being. And therefore he could not love his neighbor. He could obey the letter of the law, but he really struggled to obey the spirit of it. The lawyer was incapable of do this and you will live. By nature, the human heart is incapable of loving God and therefore loving others. It is bent towards self. It is bent towards loving darkness, as Bodhibakum said. The brokenness in our day, all that we see going on in our nation is ultimately traced to the brokenness in the human heart. Jesus, Jesus' command posed a problem for the lawyer that he had to defend. Do this and you will live. Well, let's look at verse 29, a self-justifying question. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Verse 29. Notice what the lawyer did not ask. He did not ask, how can I be a good neighbor to those neighbors I'm supposed to love? He didn't ask that. He, he had already asked the question to Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. How do you inherit eternal life? He has already answered correctly, love for God, love for your neighbor. But there was a problem the lawyer had because there were people groups that he wanted to exclude, really had to exclude, and place in the category of non-neighbor. He was prejudiced against certain groups of people. And he desperately needed to figure out a way that on the one hand he could appear to be in conformity to the Mosaic law, while on the other hand, justifying it so that he could break the Mosaic law by excluding some as his neighbor. So he tried to defend his answers to Jesus' question by asking the question, who is my neighbor? It shows, really, he was not at all concerned about loving his neighbor. He was concerned about justifying himself and appearing pious. Most in Judaism would have, if they heard this question, they, they would have gone, and what's the problem? Of course. That's, a, that, that's, that's an obvious question to me. It was obvious for many reasons, but one reason was Palestine was on a, really there were, there were several main trade routes that followed, that came through Palestine. So people coming from Mesopotamia or Syria down to Egypt, there were lots of foreigners coming through Palestine. And they were constantly faced with non-Jews. They were constantly uh, struggling with prejudice towards these non-Jews, these people groups, like Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, and above all, those half-breed, no-good-for-nothing Samaritans. The strategy behind the question, who is my neighbor, was to defend being right before the wall while excluding 
some people groups as my neighbor so I no longer have the responsibility to love them. Man, wouldn't that be handy? To be relieved of the responsibility to love people that are different, to love people that, that live in a different place, that have a different skin color, that have a different socioeconomic reason. Boy, wouldn't we like to have a biblical justification to exclude people from responsibility to love them? That's what the lawyer basically is trying to do here. In asking the question, the lawyer showed he was not concerned with the weightier matters of the law. What were the weightier matters of the law? The weightier matters of the law was the law being obeyed from the heart, what, the, what both the letter and the spirit of the law calls us to do. If you really want to get in touch with the weightier matters of the law, then go to the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is interacting, showing the hypocrisy and rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes for their external conformity to the Mosaic law, ignoring the heart, and Jesus is always taking the conversation inward. But the law says that if you look upon a woman with lust, you have committed adultery. Always going to the heart. If you've been angry with your brother, you have murdered him or her in your heart. Woe to you, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tied mint and dill and cumin and you neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others bill read micah chapter 6 verses 6 through 6 8 and there in that passage of scripture we we see the prophet micah saying something very very similarly in other words what micah is saying here is that hey listen people of god you think god is really pleased with all of this this external conforming to the law, yes, God, God calls us to be faithful. Yes, there's a sacrificial system, and we were called to come and, and offer our burnt offerings and, and offer our, our blood sacrifices. But you think that is really what pleases God? What pleases God, Micah says, not the outward form, though it's necessary, but yet what really pleases God is the heart of the matter. In fact, the prophet says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, really love mercy, and walk humbly before your God, walk by faith. And here we find the lawyer not focusing on the weightier matters of the law, what pleases God above all things. It's not a matter of sacrifices and the outward form, it's a matter of justice, mercy, faithfulness, faith. In asking the question, the lawyer rejected God's divine design. Not only was he not concerned with the weightier matters of the law, the, how the law is impinged upon the heart, how one obeys from the heart, the spirit as well as the letter, but he also rejected God's divine design design of God's design of diversity. I'm trying to say divine design of diversity. 
And I would recommend to you the Ad Interim Committee on Racial and Ethnic Reconciliation recently issued by a, a study group that our General Assembly put together. It's something that, that represents some of the thinking within our denomination. But I just want to read something from this report, just a, just a rather brief uh, quote. The report states, Adam and Eve, as the fountainhead of humanity, are made in the image of God, and all of their progeny bear that image as well. In addition, Adam and Eve, as the fountainhead of humanity, represent all races in themselves. While they are not identifiable by race or ethnicity, they contain all races and ethnicities. And those races and ethnicities that spring from our first parents bear God's image. Hence, racism or ethnocentrism, which presumes that one's race or ethnicity is superior to another, is a denial that all people have been created in the image of God. The diversity was not a mistake, mishap, or miscalculation. Rather, diversity was by divine design. Indeed, man did not create diversity, but God did. In the early 1800s, some southern churches sought to defend the institution of slavery by appealing to the curse on Canaan, Ham's son, where he was made a slave to his brothers, Genesis chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and the egregious and unbiblical justification for slavery in light of this scripture viewed the curse extending to Canaan's descendants, the African race. Sadly, some still hang on to this error. We may not justify our prejudice to that extent, but in what ways do we seek to self-justify our prejudices today by excluding some and making them non-neighbors. The lawyer's self-justifying question showed he was more concerned with justifying his prejudice than being truly concerned with loving his neighbors. It, it shows a lack of concern for the weightier matters of the law and God's divine design of diverse, with diversity or for diversity. It shows he lacked the ability to truly love God. It, it demonstrates a hard heart. And therefore, his lack of ability to truly love his neighbors. And who were his neighbors? Humanity. It shows he loved darkness more than light. Let me be clear. Those who propagate injustice love darkness more than light. Those who use racism as cover to incite riots and harm innocent people and kill the police love darkness more than light. There is sin on every side of this issue. 
Third, Jesus responded to the lawyer's questions with a parable to teach him to ask the right question. Am I a good neighbor? This is the question we must ask ourselves in light of the brokenness around us. But this question is a question that shouts hope. That there is hope for change in us as individuals. Whereby we might truly love our neighbor. There is so much being said today so much wrong being said some right but we need to hear what God says and God's message is one of hope the setting of this story was was the very rugged dangerous and well-traveled road between Jerusalem and Jericho and I won't repeat the storyline of, of Jesus' parable. We read it in verses 30 through 35. But I simply want to spend the balance of my time just commenting on the three characters in this, this parable. The priest and the Levite, they represented the clergy. Derek and myself. They, they, they represented, or maybe just Derek, they, they uh, I can't see anybody smiling with masks on. So if you're smiling, raise your hands. Okay, great. Makes you feel better. <laughs> Little levity in this. One advantage in preaching is I don't have to wear a mask. But anyway. These were the professionals. These were the religious leaders. These were the ones expected to show mercy. They were all about mercy and religious worship. So why do they not respond with compassion, with mercy to this, this, this poor gentleman who had been robbed and beaten up and left by the side of the road half, half dead? They didn't know, the priest and the Levite really didn't know if the guy was dead or not, so touching a dead body would make them ceremonially unclean. That could have been an issue. If they were unclean, they couldn't perform their job, their religious duty. They, they could have feared uh, being uh, you know, trapped into some kind of uh, being robbed themselves or maybe having to actually use their money to provide for this guy. They didn't want to fall into that trap, for goodness sakes. It could be just they simply didn't want to get involved. Didn't want to have to spend the time dealing with this guy's needs. It could be they felt like Stopping and helping this guy was beneath their, their status as religious leaders there in Jerusalem. Maybe they thought doing something like helping a guy half dead on the side of a road was beneath, their, beneath them. We really don't know why they didn't stop. Jesus doesn't tell us why. Leaves it open-ended because many reasons. And why, why don't we show mercy? Is there one reason? Now, I, I would say that there are many reasons, varied reasons, all kinds of reasons that we fail to show mercy to others. What we do know 
is that those who epitomize religious piety and duty fail to show mercy to this gentleman in need. In sharp contrast, you have the Samaritan, the very people group that's hated by people like this lawyer. And by the way, the Samaritans hated the Jews too. So it was, there, there was mutual contempt on both sides. But here again, Jesus turns everything upside down. The expected fail, the unexpected is the hero, this Samaritan. The Samaritan went to him. The Samaritan touched him. The Samaritan applied oil and, and wine to the wounds to, to clean it out. The, the Samaritan banded, bandaged the man's wound, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid for his room and board and his medical care. That's what the Samaritan did. And in verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer to, to respond. And notice how Jesus changed the question. Not who is my neighbor, but who proved to be neighborly to this half-dead man. And the lawyer in verse 37 answered correctly, the one who showed mercy. Here's the twist of this parable. The one who showed mercy was not in the lawyer's preferred group. He was actually a non-neighbor. And yet he is the one that showed mercy. The ones that everyone thought would merit the kingdom because of their birth, because of their religion, because of their piety, actually are shown to be the ones outside the kingdom. They could not make the kingdom demand. Love God with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. They failed the test. The Samaritan represents one in the kingdom, one who is able to truly love God and therefore truly love his neighbor. And of course, the, the parable is, is a story that is very fluid and it teaches many lessons, but the inference here is that the Samaritan represents one who has first and foremost had their heart changed by God. Like we read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. A new heart. Able to love God and able to love one's neighbor. Well, that's the parable. Except for one, one little sentence The parable ends, and Jesus said to him, that is the lawyer, and I don't want to change scripture, but I'll say it like this, and Jesus said to them, us, you go and do likewise. Jesus' Jesus's command is how we are to live every day. Jesus' command is what should guide us in relating to others. Jesus' command is how we should respond to the brokenness of our community and our country. Our country needs to hear Jesus' parable and command as the lawyer did. 
And how did Jesus say, go and do this? How did that operate in the lawyer's heart and mind? I can't. Our country, our fellow citizens that are outside of Christ, need to come to this place as they interact with with Jesus says, you go and do likewise. I can't. And how I believe this was, Jesus designed this to operate in the life of this lawyer was to show him his inability and show him his need for God's mercy to graciously give him a new heart so that he could truly love God and truly love his neighbor, so that he would not ask the question, who is my neighbor, but he would ask the question, how can I be a good neighbor? Because it's what God calls me to do. Listen, my brothers and my sisters, if our country, if, if God would be pleased to bring an awakening and revival to our country, where masses of people came to realize, I can't go and do likewise. God changed me, and God changed them. We would, we would not have the issues we have today. I believe that. We would have issues. The problem today is the brokenness in the human heart. And God is in the business of putting human hearts back together, dealing with the brokenness. There is so much going on, calling us to do this, calling us to do that. And yet what we need is for the people of our country to come to the place of saying, I can't do it. But for those of us who have received God's mercy in the gracious work of changing our hearts, we need to hear this parable as well. Because though we have a new nature, we struggle, still struggle with sin, we still struggle with prejudices, we struggle to show mercy, and, and we need to be challenged ourselves to consider our own hearts we need to be challenged to move more to depend on God's power to enable us not only to love him, but to love our neighbor. And the church is being called to do all sorts of things in our day by all sorts of people. And I would commend to you that the one thing that we need to do, the thing that we need to do above all other things, is to seek the Lord. And say, God, enable me to go and do likewise. That, in my opinion, that's where the difference, that's where the change in our society is going to come. God working and God's people demonstrating God's work, His powerful work, in how they treat others, going and doing this. You go and do likewise is the command. Like the Samaritan. 
Maybe it looks like seeking God to show us where we're justifying prejudices. We need to be upfront about that. And asking him to lead us to repentant for prejudicial acts we have committed, for ways that we are making others non-neighbors. Maybe it looks like praying for racial brokenness and all injustices to be healed by God pouring out his mercy one person at a time especially on the household of faith so I think prayer is part of going and doing this maybe it looks like sitting down with an African American who is hurting over injustices and just simply listening to this person empathizing with them though we can't fully understand all that another person has gone through we, we can try to understand and come alongside compassionately we can weep with those who weep maybe it looks like taking steps to correct injustices where we see them in our church in our government in our society maybe it looks like treating everybody the same that's a revolutionary thought viewing everybody as our brother and sister Viewing everybody as they are created in the image of God. God created with great unity. We are all his image bearers. We are one as a human race. Maybe it looks like treating everybody the same. Viewing everybody as not only unified, but also celebrating differences. Even the differences between races because God did that. He divinely designed differences. And maybe it looks like simply treating everybody the same with the same level of respect. When we're standing in the line at the grocery store and there's someone with a, from a different race, do we treat them differently than we would someone from our own race? No, we treat them the same. What does go and do likewise look like for you? Some of the things that are being said we need to hear. But many of the things that are being said are inconsistent with Scripture. But Jesus tells us we need to hear this parable. We need to be reminded that the question is, am I a good neighbor? And we need to be reminded of the hope we have in the gospel that God is in the business of mercifully and graciously changing hearts, working in our hearts that we would respond to him in love and respond to others with true neighbor love. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that the issues that we talked about with regards to the brokenness in our culture uh, today are not only confusing, but the issues are complex. And from a human point of view, the answers seem to be not only complex, but maybe impossible. And yet, Lord, we turn to your word and, and we see that we have hope, not in policies, not in protests, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we would not want to ignore the realities of the brokenness in our day, 
Yet, Father, we, we, we must flee to Jesus and put our hope in him. And so, Father, we, we ask you to work powerfully in our church, work powerfully in our community, work powerfully in our hearts. That we would seek you and depend upon you to enable us to be good neighbors, to demonstrate neighbor love to all whom we meet. In Christ's name, amen.